Welcome to 757 Tales, Stories from Hampton Rose, Season 1, Episode 6. So, Unfortunate Consequences is the next chapter. Surely this was the story of a bad decision? How did that go down? This this is actually a humorous story, unless you were on the boat that day. Uh, this has to do with the USS Constellation, which was... Um, Built in 1854, and it was the largest ship in the Navy at the time. It was kind of like the flagship. And Mm -hmm. what they would do is annually around June, they would go on a cruise Mm -hmm. with all the new officers. And they'd usually anchor in Lenaven Bay, which is not Lenaven Inlet, but that's just the area, uh, you know, near the landfall. Uh, And they spent a week there and then set sail. And sometimes they'd go up to Baltimore. Sometimes they'd go down to Charleston or whatever else and then come back in August and, and, mm-hmm. and sail back up to Baltimore. June 15th, 1889, mm-hmm. the Constellation set out. Right. Okay. On this year, they had 135 cadets, 170 sailors or blue jackets, 14 officers, 15 Marines, a total of 364. So in the afternoon, about three o'clock, the Storm picked up kind of out of nowhere, and the Constellation ran aground. And they got one of the junior officers, went ashore to report it. He was embarrassed to report it to the life-saving service, so he walked 12 miles to Norfolk to go to the naval headquarters to, <laughs> to report what had happened. Right. But it's, you know, 300 yards offshore. It's right. a big ship. Yeah. So it didn't yeah. take long before word got to the Coast Guard. And, and uh, although Cape Henry is the last station, you know, they, mm-hmm. they traveled, you know, sure. a little bit. And crowd gathered around, much to the shame and humiliation of the Navy. And uh, <laughs> the, the Coast Guardsmen set up their little tower for their end of the breaches buoy in case it was necessary. But it wasn't. Right. Uh, right. Finally, by the end of the day, some tugs came out and by the next day they they pulled it free with with no damages or whatever right, else but right. the uh, the commanding officer Harrington was charged with negligence yeah that's rare that you'll have a navy accident like that and thankfully it wasn't a uh, life loss uh that's that's pretty good there's a postscript to oh, that there is okay yeah. in 1913 the constellation was anchored in Lynn Haven dragged anchor and ran aground again wow <laughs> So is this the constellation from the War of 1812? This is a sailing ship? Yes. So they kept her in service that long. I know there were several of the tall ships that were kept quite a long time for cadets and, and midshipmen and that kind of thing. Well, that was in service until 55. Wow. Um, and it's still preserved. Yeah, in Baltimore. In Baltimore. It's now a private museum, right? Yes. Wow, that's, that's neat. I didn't know they kept her sailing that long. That's pretty cool. And, of course, they still have the Constitution at Boston, which is still a commissioned Navy ship. Yeah, they take that out. I don't yeah, know if it's like once a year. Yeah, just like once a year. They turn it to uh, even up the aging from the sun, I think, more than anything. But they actually take it on sale when they can. So in part three, you turn to the modern era, beginning with a chapter called Heroes. What did your research turn up leading to that title? Well, we've already discussed the wreck of the Elizabeth and the five surfmen who died. They were truly heroes. There's two other stories uh, that have a bit of a happier ending. One of them has to do with the Jenny Hall. This was in November of 1900. Jenny Hall was had left Trinidad and was heading for Baltimore with a cargo of asphalt. But on December 20th, the ship ran aground and began to break up. It was difficult for the surfmen to get to it because it was head on into the surf, which made it a very small target for their breeches buoy. But they did manage to get the breeches buoy connected Two men on board were washed away almost immediately and drowned. A third man didn't want the same thing to happen to him, so he lashed himself to the rigging. 
and the rest stood by waiting for rescuers to get there. Several of them got away from the, by the breaches buoy, but then they went back to get the man who was tied in the, in the rigging. Right. So it's freezing cold, very, very rough weather. They're several hundred yards offshore. So the surfmen go out. Two of them go on board the Jenny Hall in an effort to rescue the man who's tied up there. In the meantime, the surf boat gets swamped. Surfman John Sparrow is washed overboard. Mm -hmm. Uh, He recovers. He comes up and manages to swim back to the surf boat. And uh, it it was not overturned. It was just filled with water. So he and the the rest of the crew come to shore. The two surfmen that stayed out on the Jenny Hall were not uh, able to take the man down from the rigging. So they came back on the breaches buoy that had been set up. From what I understand, the the ship was out there for several days with the dead body hanging in the rigging before it it finally collapsed. And the two men who had drowned, their bodies were ultimately recovered and buried close by. But there's another story about a ship called the Ocean Bell, which was actually more like a barge. Mm-hmm. But it had its own captain and crew, okay. uh, and it was being towed. This was in October of 1903. And uh, again, bad weather, the ship broke loose, ran aground, and started to break apart. Like I mentioned in an earlier segment, ships don't do well when they run aground. They, they break apart pretty quickly. So a surfman named John Caps was on his patrol. He first comes across this one man laying on the beach, and he runs up to him. You know, he's, he's in shallow water, I should say, not on the beach. And he helps him ashore, and he's told that there were other men. So he continues his patrol. About a mile up, he finds another body. He brings him ashore, leaves him, and then very close by, there's a third body. This one is just unconscious and floating. He swims out again brings this guy ashore and for 20 minutes is doing their version of artificial respirations, uh, you know, pumping their arms or whatever else until he revives. And then, so he leads those two men. He's been out now for, you know, an hour or so uh, in the weather. He's almost frozen from the being wet. So he's leading the other two men back to the life-saving station when he comes to become the rest of the crew who have found the original man that he left. Mm-hmm. Now, Captain Barco, who was in charge of the surf boat that went out to the Jenny Hall, he received a gold life-saving medal. And John Woodhouse Sparrow, who was washed overboard and, and managed to be saved, was given the silver life-saving medal. Right. And Officer Caps, uh, again, um, was given a silver life-saving medal for, uh, for his role in the rescue. So, I mean, true heroes. Right. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, they did not end up having to give their lives. That's great. It's a nice counter to the other story. The once proud ship is another chapter. What type was she and what did she sink to, if you'll pardon the pun? What's the story on that? Well, the once proud ship refers to the Henry Hyde. The Hyde was constructed in Bath, Maine in 1884, and it was 290 feet long. It was the longest ship ever built in Maine. And it was a wooden ship, but it was had steel braces, and it was extremely seaworthy. And it would typically sail from New York around Cape Horn to San Francisco, which took about 124 days. In February of 1904, the ship was en route from New York to Baltimore to pick up some coal. And it was being towed for some reason by a tug called the Britannia. And during the night, a storm broke out and weather conditions were really bad. And the barge and the Britannia got very, very close together. Britannia cut her loose. So now the hide was basically stranded 
about two and a half miles south of Cape Henry, and managed to drift ashore. Well, there's a foot of snow on board the deck. It's February 10th, after all. And the surfmen go out. They see the ship. By this point, it's about 250 yards offshore. So they fire a breacher's buoy at it. They, they fire their Lyle gun. And from what they can tell, shot lands directly amidship. But nothing happens. The crew doesn't come out to do anything. Right. It's their responsibility to rig it to the ship. Right. So they wait about two hours. And it's now just starting to get light. So they fire another shot. Same success right across the deck. This time, the crew springs to life and secures the breaches buoy, and they're able, able to bring everybody ashore. So they spent the next several days trying to free the ship. They found that it was solidly ground, but not damaged, and they tried to free it and couldn't. So it sat there for quite a period of time. Finally, after several months, they got it loose, and they were attempting to tow it away when it broke loose again and washed ashore again, and ultimately... After several months, it finally just succumbed to the weather and broke in half. So it's a tragic end for a once proud ship. Was well, a large ship. 1906 is the cryptic title of another chapter. Was that a particularly prolific year for wrecks? I guess it was. I got to look it up. It wasn't the number of shipwrecks in 1906 that make it noteworthy. It was just two very unusual cases. The first one was in March 1906. The first story is about the Antonio. It was an Italian bark that uh, ran aground on March 31st, 1906. The vessel was trying to round Cape Henry when it went into the wind and drifted backwards up onto the beach. And the surfmen were very quickly able to save the eight crew members without incident. The ship's owner was contacted and the eight crew members were taken to the life-saving station where they would await contact from the ship's owner. Right. After a week, nobody had heard from the Ship's owner. And the crew started protesting because they hadn't been paid. Right. So a few days later, a federal marshal was summoned, and they were going to libel the ship. Um, it had never been done in Norfolk before, but the federal government allowed for, you know, they would pay the crew members their due and then collect it from the steamship company. Each man was owed $26. Right. So they were paid off. The surfman took the federal marshal out to the side of the ship, and he nailed a Another. notice on the side of the ship, still hadn't heard from the ship's owner. So ultimately, they stripped the ship. It had a copper sheathing. They stripped the copper off of it mm -hmm. and took and sold everything they could to reimburse the federal government for their expenditures. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Histories and Haunts costumed interpreters bring history to life in a way that is both educational and entertaining. Here's a short clip from a fifth grade classroom presentation. So they had dried meat. They had salted meat, smoked meat, and in the north, again in the industrial north, lots of goodies that they could put in airtights, or tins as they called them. I got potatoes and tomatoes, but they also had lobster, they have clams, chowder, just about everything you could think of from the north. Now, the south didn't have this, but the south's cavalry, the guys on horseback, were very good at raiding the Yankee supply lines, and they would frequently capture tons and tons of canned food. Hi, I'm Al Tuning, owner and creator of Histories and Haunts. Thank you, and I hope you'll remember us when you're planning something special for a school presentation or a community event, or you're looking for a public speaker, or maybe just some good family fun. As you've seen, we have an awful lot to offer. If you have questions about anything on the website, please contact me and I'll respond as quickly as I can. Al can be found online at www dot histories and haunts dot com
or by phone at 757-498-2127. The other story um, happened in October of 196, and this was an old ship called the George Farwell. It was passing in a fog. It got involved in a storm, believe it or not, and <laughs> ran aground. Two miles south of the station at what is now Sandbridge. So the surfmen went out, and again, they were able to make safe rescues for uh, the six-man crew. But the ship sat out there, and they tried to salvage it. Nothing could be done. They tried again in better weather. Nothing could be done. Oddly enough, in 1899, the ship was built as a Great Lakes ship. Right. And in 1899, it had been badly burned and rebuilt. So this was its second time in an attempt to, to salvage it. Uh, it just didn't go. The captain of the salvage company, who was known along the East Coast as being the best salvage man in the business, died of a heart attack on board George Farwell. And so the ship was just left to decay. Yeah. And the, uh, I think the spoiler right. uh, is on display at the Surf and Rescue Museum. We hear about captains going down with their ship, a notable example like on the Titanic. In your chapter of the same name, you tell of this. Uh, so a two-part question. Was this a very common practice, and what's this particular tale? Well, I can't speak to how common a practice it was, but it was true in this case. This happened in October of 1954. Captain was Patrick Mahone of the Mormakite. The Mormakite was sailing from Brazil to Wilmington, Delaware, with a cargo of dynamite. Off the Virginia coast, on October 7th, she encountered a storm. Captain reduced speed. Waves continued to wash over the deck, so they moved the lookouts from the bow to the flying bridge. And the first mate started reporting that he heard the cargo groaning every time the Mormakite rolled on its port side. Finally, around 9 a.m., a wave struck the starboard side, and as one of the survivors explained, it was like a great hammer. And the vessel took on a list to port. Captain reduced the speed again, and they took two fire hoses in to flood the starboard side and try to level out the ship. By 9.15, the engines were stopped. The marmakite was listing about 25 degrees. About 9.30, water started pouring down the smokestack and the marmakite rolled over and began to sink. And by 9.45, it was gone. Wow. No command was ever given to abandon ship or to prepare to abandon ship. There were two lifeboats on the boat, 70-man lifeboats, one on each side of the ship, but they weren't able to launch them because of the angle of the ship. Right, so yeah, the, 25 degrees. Right, so the crew evacuated or escaped the boat. They put on their cork-filled life jackets and just walked off the deck into the water. Right. Unfortunately, no radio message had ever been sent. Wow. No SOS, no location or whatever. So it was 32 hours before the ship was even, before everybody even realized it was missing. Right. And finally, the, um, the owner of the ship mentioned that it was gone. So the Coast Guard started looking. Starting on October 8th, two radar-equipped Coast Guard vessels were out. They searched and searched. Finally, on October 29th, they picked up where its position had been when it was last contacted. And two planes found two men in life jackets still alive. Wow. So the USS Eaton, a U.S. destroyer, uh, was sent out and rescued the two men, and the search continued all day and for the next three days. A total of 11 survivors and 12 bodies were recovered. Value of the cargo, $1.55 million. It was determined that the 12 men whose bodies were recovered died from drowning. 24 bodies were never found. Wow. There was a court of inquiry, 
the, in, indicating that Captain Nahone was negligent in allowing the ship's cargo to be loaded in such a way, and also determined that he was negligent in not evacuating the ship. He went down with the ship. Wow. So uh, that's a pretty big ship, considering the size of the crew. How, how large was this ship again? It's about 440 feet long. Wow. That, that is a big ship and a lot of dynamite. I wouldn't want to be in charge of that. 6,000 gross tons. Yeah, it's yeah. a big ship. Yeah. Now, I love the next one. You call it Ship Happens. That's a nautical pun, folks. What's the story, Al? Okay, this is just one of those days when nothing seems to go right. Um, this is the USS Valcor, which was commissioned in July of 1946. And it was a seaplane tender. Mm-hmm. It served in the Middle East until... 1951, when it returned to Norfolk in March of that year. Well, in May of that year, they left Hampton Roads going out to do some ship exercises. And directly behind them was a ship called the SS Tracy, which is a Liberty ship, Collier-type ship. It was clear sky, calm sea, no storm involved in this one at all. As they cleared the Cape Henry Junction buoy, the Tracy changed course from 90 degrees to 82 degrees and continued at a speed of 10 knots. About five minutes later, the USS Valcar altered its course from 90 degrees to 75 degrees and increased its speed to 15 knots. The Valcor's officers figured they were about half a mile astern of the Tracy. As they passed directly or diagonally across the stern of the Tracy, all of a sudden, without warning, they lost complete power. Oh my goodness. Well, they had four generators mm-hmm. on board. It was a diesel engine. Mm-hmm. They had two generators in engine room one. They had two generators in engine room two. So when they left Norfolk, they had both generators in engine room number one running. One is primary, one is backup. Mm-hmm. So as they got near the entrance to the bay, they got permission to shut off one of the generators right. and continue with just one. Okay. About an hour later, somebody noticed that the generator was losing power. And in their attempt to restore power... They shorted the system out, so uh, the ship was powerless. Well, the Tracy behind them uh, got word, uh, saw their signal flags that something was up, but they assumed that it's a Navy ship. It's doing some kind of drill or something like that, so they just continued, okay, until they rammed the Valcor. Well, it hit them amidships, and the crack went from eight feet below the waterline to the deck line. Wow. Okay. The ship penetrated seven feet. Yeah. and ruptured a aviation fuel tank when it penetrated. Okay, well, the Tracy was able to back out, but her bow was on fire, and the other ships well involved with fire. Right. The captain of the Valcor ordered a vantage ship, and most people just jumped into the water. There was a Coast Guard cutter a mile behind them wow. witness the whole thing, sure. so they were right there and started rescuing people. And then a subtender and another boat came up alongside and started fighting the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so both, both vessels were salvaged. There was one injury on board the Tracy. Guy was up on the bow painting and he wrenched his back. Okay. But on the Valcor, 16 men had been injured and 26 killed. Wow. Yeah. Pretty bad fire. Aviation fuel. Please join us next week for another episode of 757 Tales next Wednesday at noon. Thanks for tuning in. Your local Virginia Beach and Hampton Roads History Channel.